0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into On Her Turf. This is the podcast where we talk about various women, amazing women that have inspired us, women that make other women want to be better. One of those women is my co-host, MJ Acosta Ruiz. MJ. Oh, it's so good to see you, girl. It's been, (laughs) I feel like it's been a month because of my Uh. holidays. And I don't know about you, but it was this whirlwind where I'm still picking myself up off the floor, but it was wonderful. How was yours?
1: It was great. It definitely feels like a whirlwind because similar to you, I'm still working. I, I always say like holidays. I don't know her. It's in the sports world. <laughs> but they don't really exist. Um, but, but it was awesome to at least take a day or two and, and just take in the moment and, and have a minute, just a minute to breathe. Um, as we're still pushing through, you know, the, the season here, seasons, depending on which yeah. sport you're covering. Yeah. wait truth truth
0: serum here do you feel guilty if you have a holiday off because i know this sounds crazy but sometimes because of what you just said it feels yeah. strange right maybe i'm for not a gonna minute. lie
1: for yeah for like three seconds i'm like dang everybody else is still working and then i'm like hold on right you know <laughs> let me go ahead and take this cocoa and relax because it really is watch so the fleety, game on right? tv you get you got three seconds and then you're right back in it so we have to stop feeling guilty but i won't lie to you it definitely still creeps out yeah, no, I hear you. That's kind of how I feel too. No, but it was so
0: nice to to get some time away and really great to to be back and I'm so excited for this week and our guest.
1: Yes, and listen, this is the way to start the 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 pod episode for 2022 because I have a full list of accolades and I am going to name off every single one because they are that epic. So this week's guest is an Olympic gold medalist, a FIFA Women's World Cup champion, thank you very much, a US Women's National Team member, a two-time NWSL champion during her time in Kansas City as well as a four-time NWSL defender of the year and is currently a standout leader for the Portland Thorns. Becky Sauerbrunn, welcome to On Her Turf. Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm already loving the start of this podcast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Patrick Mahomes would be jealous. You know that girl. Um, we obviously <laughs> right. have, we have a ton to talk about, but we want to start out with some fun, right? Some getting to know you things, some icebreaking mm-hmm. material, if you will. So I'll start it off. If you could make one rule, Becky, that everyone had to follow, what rule would you make and why? I would say that everyone needs to be on time. Like if you set a time to do something, oh.
2: you need to be on time. Cause I feel like it's, pretty selfish when you're like five, 10 minutes late, because then you're making everything about you as opposed to what you're meeting for. So that would be my rule.
0: Where did you learn that? Like, where was that ingrained? It's probably ingrained when
2: I first started dating my boyfriend and he was late for everything.
1: <laughs> oh, <wow. gasps> everything. Oh, I definitely thought you were going to say it. So it started when I started um, in sports and I had to be on time for practice. Same. I love your answer so much better. <laughs> my um, and also one side note, my son just walked in the room. He was in bed
0: a little bit ago, but this is the the glory of being on the East Coast. Right. Um, and he we were just talking about this with him because my husband's like, you've got to be five minutes early. To be on time. That's it. And I try to live that way, but I'm still trying mm. to live that mm. way. So anyway, so I'm gonna say good yeah. night. Okay. All right. We love you very
1: much. Oh, so sweet. See, listen. This is this is real life working from home. Um, I listen when it comes to work stuff, it it's clockwork. I know exactly where I need to be. Everything else, though, I think my friends know. If dinner is at eight, I, I'm I'm gonna be late. I'm gonna be there, but I'm gonna be late. Like it's <laughs> just because in my head, I'm like, okay. It'll take me 15 minutes to get there. Incorrect. I live in Los Angeles. So it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Like, it's going to take me <laughs> more than 15 minutes. But I have this, like, complex where I think, like, nah, I can do it. I'm the one who can, like, I don't know, magically erase all the rules of of reality and of traffic and make it there in 15 minutes. So I apologize to everyone. I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be a lowly. But I love that. <laughs> um, by the way, my son just said, I was going to bed and then I heard the game show. So. <laughs>
0: Oh. He thinks this is a game show, which is all good, which is all good. I <laughs> love that. All right. Next
1: up, MJ, what's your first memory of watching women's sports?
2: I think the first thing that I actually remember is my dad taking me to a college game. So I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I think he took me to a Mizzou game and they were playing UNC, who at the time, dynasty. I mean, they're still pretty much a dynasty. Um, so they were in town and he, he dragged me out there. and I remember watching it was freezing colds. Um, And I was just enthralled. And that's kind of one of my earliest memories of watching women's sports and women's soccer in particular. Wow.
0: Were you playing yet at the time
2: at all? Yeah, I was playing. I was pretty young. um, But I was starting to play kind of, you know, that at the local park with your elementary school friends. Um, So really just casual, fun fun weekend thing. So that was probably the start. All right.
0: What's your guilty pleasure during training? Like the thing that you turn to when you sort of need to pick me up? Oh, wow. Like when I'm in the,
2: the mix of training and just super tired and.
0: Yeah, super. Yep, exactly. Super mm-hmm. tired. Or maybe you have a little more time off than normal for whatever reason. <laughs> um, if it's actually like a time where I can go take a trip, it's probably I'm like on this search to
2: find the world's best mojito. So that's probably one of like <laughs> my biggest guilty pleasures It's like searching everywhere on this answer. planet for it.
1: It's awesome. I love that. Um, Okay, this next one, low key in like our, we call it prep, I call it subtle stalking um, of you as we were getting ready for this. I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm really excited to ask you this because I want recommendations. What podcast other than On Her Turf, are you listening to that we should all get hooked on?
2: Oh, hooked on? I really like the serialized like fiction. And so Tannis, the black tapes, um, I'm listening one right now called Parkdale Haunt, which is about like a haunted house and some friends that are there. Yes. Um, building yes. back the house. I mean, there's there's a lot, but those are three of my really, really good, easy ones to get fixed on.
1: I like anything true crime that is going to make me nervous even if I'm home alone for five seconds, um, but it's very much what I'm into.
0: Um, all right, Becky, what do you remember about the first time you won prize money for an athletic achievement and what you spent it on?
2: Wow. Okay, so I think the first... Time I made significant money was probably after 2015 Women's World Cup when we won, and I bought myself my first car, and I still have that car. To wow. be honest, it's it's my favorite car. It's, I'm never probably going to get rid of it. I What's love the that. make? What it's is it?
1: Cute little Audi, silver Audi A3. Yeah, I love this for you. Very cute. I drove my college car until it literally had 250 thousand miles on it. My mom was like, "If you don't get yourself a new car immediately, I'm not going to help you if you get stuck on the side of the road." It got to that point.
2: Oh, yeah. I needed a new car. I had a Pontiac Sunfire that was on its last legs.
1: Um, Okay. So you're a hiker. Yes. Like the outdoors. I do not. I hate them. But I do it for my husband. Um, Have you ever come across any wild animals on any of your hikes?
2: No. No wild. Well, no scary wild animals. I mean, we've seen... We've seen um, in Belize just like monster bugs. Um, we've seen monkeys when we've gone to some of Central America and South America. So not, not crazy wild. Nothing where I was like, I'm scared.
0: I was trying to think of a good animal story and I don't really have one.
2: I Except think it's fortunate did. we don't
0: have that. That is very right. true. Perfect. We had One time growing up, and I've told my kids this story several times, we had a bat fly into our house. And so that, that's been like the story that keeps on giving. A because bat? we. A bat, we were eating dinner and somehow this bat got in our house in the basement and we had to call the game warden and the game warden came to the house with this, uh, like a a picker thing that like looked like a toy and a bag that the game warden went downstairs, came up, that bag was like, anyway, it was amazing. It was amazing.
1: But, um, yeah. Immediately, no, I'd be out of there so fast. (laughs) Wild animals, different story, right? Wilderness, I'm out. But like <laughs> that's not murder. We're gonna warm you mind. up.
0: I have ideas. Um, <laughs> speaking of warm up, this has been such a fun warm up with Becky Sauerbrunn. We have so much more though to talk about. We're getting to know Olympic gold medalist Becky Sauerbrunn
1: on the On Her Turf
0: podcast.
1: All right, we're here with soccer superstar Becky uh, Becky Sauerbrunn. And Becky, you've played in three Olympic games now. What's been your favorite Olympic memory? I know it's tough to pick. Favorite
2: Olympic memory would probably be 2012 in London. Um, mm-hmm. We got to play at Wembley, which is just this like historic stadium where exactly. the English national team plays and there's 80,000 people. And, you know, we had just lost to Japan in the 2011 World Cup. So it was, we were facing Japan in the final again and we get the win two to one. And just, it's it's kind of amazing and it's hard to put into words what it feels like to win a gold medal. I think Americans really, Love the Olympics and they love gold medalists. And to be able to say that I am a gold medalist, it's still kind of crazy that I get to say that. Um, but to experience it and to witness like to live in the village for that little bit of time, which is wild. The village is wild. Um, all the rumors are true. Um, and then, yes. <laughs> and then just to like have the medal and
0: it's, it's really, it's really special. When, when you think back, what was it going through your mind in that moment? I wasn't at the time, I wasn't playing a lot for the national team.
2: I was on the, like the newer side of things and the center back that I was kind of the und- understudy for, um, got hurt. So I actually ended the game on the field and I was in, <sighs> so I was in like the huddle, like the huddle that happened. Okay. Um, and so like, that's like the, my immediate like reaction was just like such gratitude for like being actually on the field and then being able to like hug these amazing women and being like, Oh my gosh, we did it.
0: Uh, Wait, that's such a cool thing though. Can you take us inside that huddle since you just brought that up? Because that's, I mean, that's gold to hear that.
2: I mean, the huddle is where it's at after. I mean, we had an epic huddle after 2019 too that I immediately run back to my goalkeeper and we're embracing. And then all the defenders come in. We have this like defender hug. Um, But honestly, the huddles at the end of of games, at the end of important tournaments like that, like to me, those are always the best memory of all the tournaments. It's like such a, a sense of, Camaraderie of relief. I mean, you have so much stress throughout the entire tournament that just keeps building up and all these expectations. And all of a sudden, it's like this sense of freedom and lightness. And I think about why I keep doing this to myself. Like, why do I, you know, fight through injuries? And why do I keep, you know, kind of putting my life on hold sometimes? And it's for those brief moments where you just feel so light. And I think I, I'm addicted to searching for that and feeling that over and over again.
1: I feel that. I mean, I that's, that's, that. that's sort of the, the, The payoff in all of that right like that's literally the moment that you work so hard for and it feels like a fleeting thing but it it sticks with you um, clearly for so long um I am however not going to let you breeze by the village um here (laughs) so So it was like your favorite (laughs) Olympic memory what's your favorite village memory that you can share you know on a family show exactly
2: (laughs) exactly (laughs) Well it's interesting cuz the tr- the soccer tournament for the Olympics is not always in the host city. So we were all right. over England in 2012 and we just got to end in London for the semi and the final. And at that point a lot of the other athletes had already done their events and so they're just partying. And so you just hear people partying. Oh, <laughs> and you also have just a lot of attractive
1: people who are very fit and in the same rooms, right. you know, sharing space. So <laughs> There's a lot happening. It's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of hormones all going on at once. Everybody's young and hot. I get it. I get it. When MJ rattled down the list of your
0: accomplishments, Becky, you know, Olympic gold and bronze, two World Cups, uh, golds and a silver, which one is, can you say which means the most? It's really tough to pick one, but I would say that the, the 2015 Women's World
2: Cup, that, that for me, you know, it has always been a dream of mine to, make a world cup roster, but then to also play in the games and to actually like physically contribute. And that was the first time that I got to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me, I think it was proof and proof to myself that like, I can do this. Like I can be on this team and I can contribute and I can help in our success and I can bring people along with me. And so it was really a For me, it was like a test and I got to pass the test, which not all athletes get
1: to do sometimes. Wow, that's huge. I like to think of soccer as like a marathon sport. I don't don't feel like there's ever really an off season, you know, and you guys play on different teams. So you have your club team and then you have to switch to like a national team, get ready for the Olympics. Is there a noticeable switch for you or how is that process going from a club team, for example, to a national team or getting ready for something like an Olympic game?
2: I very much feel like I have two full-time jobs. So for
1: me, playing
2: professionally and internationally, um, two very different things with very different staffs and people and expectations. And the national team, you kind of hop in and hop out, whereas the professional side, you're really in there working day in and day out. And so it's it's really tough. And you do have to switch your mindset. And you still have to give everything to every team that you play on. And then you throw in an Olympics or a World Cup. And all of a sudden, there's this added Mm -hmm. layer of training and expectations and sacrifice and it's you're right it, it is all year round and then it's also like doing two right. jobs
0: and also one thing we were talking about not to get us off the path but the amount and I know that it's a bit different in soccer but the amount of clubs that you've been a part of too i was so impressed by that just looking yeah. at all of them and and it was making me wonder First of all, I know about your leadership and I really, later on, we have to talk about that because you're such a master at just messaging and motivating, but it struck me as being like, okay, obviously you have the beauty of being able to adapt so well. What is that like when you're going from different teams, you know? It's it's interesting
2: because as I have played longer in my career, I have certain expectations and like a reputation. And so when I first came to Portland, I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to join the group, get my feet wet, um, not take on any leadership until I've like proven to the team that I deserve any sort of responsibility when it comes to leadership. And I remember the coaching staff being like, absolutely not. Like we are bringing you here for your leadership. So it's been really interesting to see how changing teams has evolved as my career has gone on. But this most recent move has definitely been where I think my off field work was almost more important than my on field work, which was new for me.
1: Can you talk to us about that a little bit and why has it been so important for you to not just be a leader with the club, but be a leader within the space of women's professional sports, specifically with the NWSL um, and the advocacy work that you do as well? I feel that we
2: as as athletes and, you know, women's national team players and women's soccer players, we've been gifted this platform. And To me, there's just so many things that are not right. And it would be a dereliction of duty for me not to use this platform to at least impact some sort of, of change, You know, even if it's affecting a few people, at least trying and attempting. And so hopefully there will be a day where I can just be a soccer player, but I don't think that's going to happen in my career. I don't even know if it's going to happen in right. my lifetime. So I'm going to dedicate as much time as I can to using that platform while still Trying to be a kick-ass soccer player,
0: for you. When you mentioned the many things that still need to be changed, what is what is the key thing for you right now? Oh gosh, key things: um, pay equity,
2: investment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, to be completely honest, protecting women athletes. We hear about all the terrible things that have happened um, to women's gymnastics, uh, and even with the NWSL about all the sexual allegations and also the emotional and psychological abuse that, that's happening. Like We just need to, at a base level, protect women athletes from predators, from discrimination. And I think that's a huge thing that we're just starting to tackle.
1: And I think, Becky, a lot of people, when, when they speak to that point or even think about it, th- the perception is that, well, unless you're in it, you can't really do anything. Or maybe that you shouldn't even do anything. That's a good point. Um, but I think allyship is such a huge part of this, right? And whether it's fear of trepidation, fear of judgment, or fear of just even speaking up, I think there's something to be said for allyship. How important is that in in this space for women's sports, especially for every single reason you just mentioned?
2: Oh, I think allyship is, is absolutely huge.
1: And I think just in our
2: pay equity fight with the national team, having the men's team speak for us and say they absolutely deserve the same treatment, the same pay as we do. We are doing the exact same job. The strength that a statement like that would have, and it's so easy for them to make because nothing's going to happen to them. Nothing's going to happen to the men. But to have them speak on our behalf as allies, I mean, it's huge. It makes the platform bigger. It puts more eyes on it. It gives it more credibility, even though it shouldn't. We should be credible in and of, of ourselves. Um, but to have that that added boost and support, it makes a huge difference.
0: As your president of the national team um, PA, what is what does that entail for you? How are you able to, I guess, lead that drive to make a difference in that role? Yeah, it's,
2: um, it's an interesting time to be <laughs> a president of the women's national team PA. Um, we're, you know, in the midst of our equal pay fight, you know, we're appealing the original judgment summary that happened. And so leading the CBA negotiations right now, like I'm really involved with that. And then there's also the lawsuit side of it. So that's two things. But then you also are in charge of enforcing the current CBA and protecting the players and making sure their livelihoods are taken care of. And so there's, I wear a lot of hats and um, being yeah. one of the, you know, one of the members of the executive committee of the the PA, I take a lot of pride in it. It's It's tough. It's a lot of work. And a lot of it goes unseen because it's just really nitty gritty things.
1: We had Megan Burke on uh, recently, I think our very last episode, um, and she was speaking to the reality that a lot of the work that is done now is not necessarily, for example, for you, like you may not see the fruits of of all of the effort that you're putting in, but how important is it to you to leave it better than you found it for the next wave of of women who enter this league?
2: I see it as like I and like this current crop players took up the mantle for the the gen from the generation that came before us. And so it's been this just kind of like oncoming way that just keeps building more and more momentum. And so when you take on the mantle, it's kind of understood that you're probably not going to benefit from the fruits of this labor. And you come to terms with it really early. I think just as women, that's just how it is right now. Um, but that, you know, that it's going to be so worth it when finally that wave crashes and it's like everything is right. Everything that you work towards, um, you finally see it coming into fruition for a different generation. Sure. But like, at least it's happening. And so I kind of understood and accepted it early because it's just, it's how it is right now for women.
0: I, I think that's fascinating. Why do you think that is so positive in soccer? Like why, how are, why are you guys able to do that so well? Because Megan alluded to it too, as MJ said, it's just, it seems like there's this understood and maybe it's the camaraderie, I would think, right? That you guys, that it's just special with the team. But what, what is it that allows you guys to be just so incredibly supportive of one another and moving that force forward? For me, like when I think about specifically like the 1999 Women's
2: World Cup team and what they did for women's soccer to put it on the map and their first Collective bargaining agreement, they were just fighting for a livable wage. They just wanted to be able to play mm-hmm. soccer and make a living from doing what they love and not have to have some other side hustle. And so seeing that play out as a 14 year old and seeing them fight, seeing them going to Congress, fighting for equal pay, fighting for the first professional league ever in the US, and just like appreciating that fight, like it was an honor to then take it from them and to continue that fight. And I don't know if that's just special women's soccer. I think a lot of women athletes have done that. I think we have just yeah. been very vocal. And I think the women's team has just been very blessed to be quite public and quite popular. Um, so I think for us, it's just a little bit more visible.
0: It's really cool. It's really cool.
1: You mentioned earlier you wear many hats, right? And I think Becky, it's like you didn't necessarily choose choose this life; it chose you, right? It just sort of comes with the territory of being in a position like yours. And uh, there's so many nuanced. Topics and layers to being a professional female athlete, right? So, on top of the fights for equity in many different um, realms, uh, there's also a fight for gender equity and for just things being even a little bit equal. I mean, we saw it in in um, women's college basketball last year and the disparity between weights. But there's things I think in terms of support um, for female athletes that most people wouldn't even. Think about, right? Genetically, we have to deal with a lot more than, than a man would have to. And I know that the US team actually has used like period tracking apps. It sounds like a hard pivot, but it's not. It's all uh, related here in the past. Um, has that helped you learn more just about like being able to prepare adequately for shifting from a club team to then preparing for a national championship and how something seemingly as easy as that can make such a big wave in what it means to perform at your best.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the period tracking and learning about your body and how you feel on certain days and which days, you know, you need a little bit more protein or you need a little bit more rest and how your body reacts to that. I think that's all like the aggregation of marginal gains. Like you never know what's going to make the Mm -hmm. difference. And just no one was interested in studying this because it was a woman thing. And so mm-hmm. we're just at, I think, the beginning of really looking into that and all the things that make a woman a woman and how that does affect your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health.
0: We were, um, MJ and I, Becky, were blown away. Well, I, and I'm not trying to speak for you, MJ, but we talked about it after. We did a, an entire episode during the Olympics on that topic and spoke to several of the Olympians. And I just... Going in and and when we were even talking with producers before saying, we're going to have a roundtable about period tracking and about this, I I was like, okay, wow, this is going to be eye opening. But it was just, it was so fascinating. And it was so, you know, I left there being like, okay, there, there is so much I did not know and we should be talking about this. The other the other thing I wanted to ask about that we've talked about is fertility. And for context here, Racing Louisville is the first NWSL team to provide fertility services. We can also mention that Neka Agumake, she made headlines. Some people might remember this past summer for securing a deal for fertility testing and support that was with Modern Fertility for all WNBA players, in addition to what's written into the WNBA's CBA. So what is your take on that and the role that, Fertility services play and the benefits, the rights that players should be receiving.
2: I I think it's genius what Louisville did. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And as someone who's an older athlete, I'm 36, I when I make decisions about my career, I often I very much have to think like, well, I want to start a family. Like, when do I need to do that? And there's just that added pressure that a lot of people in their careers just don't have to deal with, like having to make decisions about having their family. And I myself just froze embryos the during December. So I made the decision that I didn't want that added pressure when trying to decide the future of my career to
1: mm-hmm.
2: have to like stop just so I can have children. So I think what the WNBA did, um, I think that's so smart. It's such an expensive process though, to go through, you know, freezing eggs or freezing embryos. And so I think any time that women can get support from leagues from their own markets from their own organizations. I think that's, that's so genius. And I think that's the way um, that needs to go. I think that's the future of, you know, protecting women and, and offering these services.
0: How much is it talked about among, among athletes? And is that something that you do remember hearing about when you were younger?
2: I very rarely heard anything about fertility services and not until, very recently with the Louisville announcement. And then also we had a uh, women's health clinic with my Portland team where we brought in some doctors and they brought it up and that actually got it going for me feeling like, Oh, maybe I should look into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um So it's, it's kind of newer. And I, I think women talk about it or maybe feel ashamed that they need to use fertility services. And I hope we can break that stigma stigma because it's, if we can use that science to like fulfill a dream of yours to have a family, like why not do that?
1: Yeah, I think it's. You great. know these these mics are very very powerful, and I'm like wondering if it can pick pick up like how hard my heart is beating right now because these are conversations I've literally had today, yesterday with women in my life, and I think it's it's even this conversation speaks to how we're starting to destigmatize that shame that does become associated with thinking about fertility for various reasons, whether it's you're having issues uh, reproducing, you and your partner are trying, or with just the thought of, maybe I do, maybe I don't want a family, you know, and those conversations and how people sort of look at you a little sideways, if that is, you know, the route that that you're sort of thinking about. So it it makes me really happy to hear that we can so freely start to talk about this. I mean, I was talking with somebody via text message yesterday, and she just sort of threw it out there. And it, it was... I was like, okay, well, okay, we're doing this. Yes, girl. Yes, let's have this conversation. Let's go. Whereas before, it was so taboo, right? And I don't want it to be that way. I'm just a little older than you Becky, in, and the same thing, you know. And, and Lindsay, who has going has two beautiful children, um, you know, and it, but it's it's tough um, within this space. With, if you're in sports, if you're in this kind of um, space where they're the time stamp is so bright and it gets put on you so quickly, right? And it's like, well, if you want a career. And if I, I, if I can add to that a little bit, what, what you guys have both made
0: me think about and Becky, I think whether you said it or whether I read it somewhere prepping for this, you made me think a lot about, I think it's super powerful and awesome. Even the act of talking about it because it's connecting all of us and it is what MJ just said, but also it is making a decision that is best for yourself. And that decision to layer off of that in our industry, MJ, like, I think that there, we're getting to a point where we're having much more conversation, which is great, but there is a level of competition because that light is shown so bright. And if you choose to have kids, like, I think what it was that I read, Becky, was you talking about not have, you know, you want to be able to focus and have the time. It's very true. When you have those children, you have to make decisions. Like I've made decisions the past two years, I would have never made or never, I would have been terrified to make because I'm in that boat now where I'm like, I, my kids are five and seven. And that goes like that. And it's like, God, I want to have this career. And I have a lot of career left, but it's terrifying. You know, it really is. And you don't know, and you just have to believe in yourself and trust in yourself. So hearing you or reading what you said about making that choice. It just makes me think back. And like, that's what I want to tell younger people. Yes. Do what you want to do, do what's in your heart, but you do need to know that then you have to back up what you believe in and what you want and have to say that and have the courage
1: to say it too. Becky was, did you feel supported? You know, and you don't have to answer this. Um, as as you were even just researching or like having those conversations with with other people in the same space as you, like you know what, yes, or, or I I went through it or I thought about it. I feel like that's been really helpful too. As as we continue to explore this, is is feeling like you're not alone in in that thought and in that process.
2: I felt extremely supported from my teammates because a lot of my teammates' partners have gone through the process, and mm-hmm. so it was nice to be able to tap into that and to ask questions like why do I feel this way today? You know, after injecting all these (laughs) hormones into me, um, and then also broaching the subject with the national team, that to me was like kind of terrifying because I'm basically just cramming this month long process in between, you know, two national team camps. And so even the decision to like go through the process of, of freezing embryos and potentially putting me behind in training to be prepared for the next camp, like to me, that was terrifying. I'm like, that it shouldn't be terrifying. And so having the open talk with my coaching staff, with my medical staff, sport performance, um, they all understood and they were pretty, pretty supportive. And so I am hopefully going into camp in a few weeks and I am undertrained, but we'll see how it goes. Cause in my heart, I know that I made the right decision.
0: How has it been? um, I guess, Physically, and not to get too personal there, but like with the keeping that up, being physically prepared, have you found that there have been ways to navigate that that you feel everything is going to be where it needs to be? Well, it was the first time I ever had forced inactivity. Like they were like, You can't raise your
2: heartbeat above 160. We need, you know, oh one leg on the ground at all times. So you can't run, but you can walk. You can't wow. bike, but you can walk. You can't swim, you know. So It was I was really restricted in what I could do. And so I got very deconditioned and I I knew that going in. Um and now that I'm dealing with the ramifications, it's tough to like get fit and get back into it. Um, but I'm I'm really willing to to go through how hard it is right now
1: for what'll be worth down the road for me. Thanks for sharing that, Becky. I mean, I didn't even know that aspect of it. You see what I mean? Like, this is why these conversations are so important. My goodness. Um, and as while we're on that topic, like you said it perfectly, this is something you did for yourself. And I think that that part of it of, of removing that selfishness that's attached with making the right choices for you and for your family. The last two years <laughs> have really brought that to surface. Uh, I think for everybody as we continue to live now going into the third year of this pandemic. Um, has there been a way with all that you do, how much you train the choices you're making for yourself and your personal life? How How do you find or what do you do to sort of center yourself and bring yourself um, a little bit of, of self care for lack of a better phrase? Right. Self-care. Well, I have never struggled
2: with like hard chilling and I can, (laughs) I can can read, I can, I can game, (laughs) I can take a a bubble bath with a glass of wine and just get to that spot where it's like, okay, I am taking care of myself. I am getting back to where I need to be to make sure when I do face the world, I'm giving it the best version of myself.
0: I also, you said books and I know that you're an avid reader. There was also, um, I know I loved reading about your flute playing as a, as a child, right. That your mom, is that right? Was it your mom who made you guys, you and your siblings play an instrument? Can you share that story and how that manifested? Yeah, I think it was
2: her attempt to make us more well-rounded because we were all like decently athletic. Um, but I think she very much is an academic and so she wanted something else. And so (laughs) I played the flute, my oldest brother played trumpet, my middle brother, Played around with the saxophone and the drums. And she was just adamant that she really wanted us to do it throughout high school. And you can imagine, like, I had to be in marching band as a teenager. And so just imagine like <laughs> being thinking this is so embarrassing. And actually, like looking back, like, I can play an instrument. Like, that's really cool. And I I very cool. I actually rented a flute while I was playing in Salt Lake City. Um, for the Utah Royals just to, cause I had so much time on my hands cause I was a li- I was living away from my partner Zola. And so I was like, what am I gonna do with all this time? And I just got the flute and I picked it back up. And it was like, it was such a great way of spending time that was actually like doing something for me and making me happy.
1: Listen, my husband plays the guitar and he will not play for me. How can I get him to play? Well, I should maybe get him a guitar. That would probably be a helpful part of this. <laughs> But I love that you play for your partner. That's amazing.
0: Do you have a go-to song? Is there a type of a genre of music that you prefer to play? I mean, I can rock out to some Disney.
2: So get like a, sweet, a whole new world.
0: Oh, that, oh my God. Oh I my wish God. you had a flute. Do you have a flute in your room? Is the flute in the room? No, it's not. I need to get it fixed. It's not, that, it's not working right now. How do you now. fix a flute? I didn't even know you could fix a
2: flute. What happens to a flute? I couldn't know it could break. Super <laughs> intricate. Yeah, no, it definitely can break.
1: <laughs> Things come loose. It's terrible tell me you never played an instrument without telling me you never played an instrument i had no idea i played the recorder one oh time oh my god do like you remember that and it was yeah yes it was mary had a little lamb i think we all had to play that right? <laughs> that was it but the flute is so cool like lizzo plays the flute and it's i mean i love it she's making it cool
0: again so i appreciate that super cool hey you um you mentioned your partner, um, Zola, who also was a soccer player in college. Do you guys, does he ever, you know, does he try to give you advice? Do you guys ever share any information that's helpful? Oh, oh yeah. He loves women's soccer. So like, I'll come back from practice and he's
2: watching like a last week SEC game, you know, so he's like really <laughs> into it. Um, in it. Yeah, we, we talk about it. I mean, he, he's the most supportive partner I could ever ask for. He comes to all the major tournaments, any game that he can come to, he comes to. We talk about it. He, he's just like, I don't know if I could have done this career without him as like just being that supportive. Um, just, he's amazing. So yeah, he's, he's absolutely wonderful. And I also drag him out to the, the soccer field and make him kick around with me just so I can get some extra training in. So he's still got a little bit left.
1: So he's useful. <laughs> I like it's He's that. a useful engine. Put him to work. I like it. <laughs> mm. um, you know, the Winter Olympics starting up in a couple weeks. Um, any events that you cannot miss? Like, I got to record this one if I'm not home. Is there anything you really get hype about for the Olympics? Winter Olympics.
2: I mean, I really, I love the speed skating and I really yes. do like, I like the figure skating as well, just cause I'm like, this is so beautiful. And I know it's so hard what they're doing, but they make it look so graceful and effortless. Like I really appreciate those types of things. Um, and just, I mean, some of the, the downhill skiing and just, I, mean, there's so many things that are so cool about the winter Olympics.
0: I, uh, I love hearing that. I want to hear also about the 2023 world cup and the team cause they're the roster's young It's young. What are what are the expectations in your mind? I mean, first off, we have to qualify this year. So that's like plan number one.
2: And Mm -hmm. the roster won't be announced for the 2023 for a while. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of that new part of the cycle where, you know, people retire or the coach starts to phase out some players. And so there's, there's this kind of like turmoil that always happens at this time of the cycle. And we kind of saw it a little bit with that trip to Australia where the average age was like 26, which for us is so young. Usually we're such an older team. And I was lucky enough to be there and to see kind of these new players that were just getting their first appearances, scoring their first goals, you know, having their first minutes and to see that and to see like where the future is for this group. And it's so bright. And I was just like this proud, like mother hen, just like soaking it all in and being so happy. And I mean, I sincerely hope it's not the end of my national team career, but to know that the team is in such good hands, even if I should get phased out or to retire, like it just really, it was like, my heart was full.
0: Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, how do you navigate that turmoil that you described? But it's, I guess you just answered that question, right? It's embracing that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to fight for my
2: spot. And, you know, when I cross those lines, like I'm going to show those young guns, you know, why I'm here, and why I'm relevant and what I can bring to this group. So it's definitely not over, but it's, it's interesting now entering this part of my career, um, having now to be like, okay, I've done all this. This is my history, but like, I'm going to prove every single day why I had that history and why I'm going to continue having great history.
1: So good. What does the future look like for you, Becky? Like, once you decide you're done, you know, teaching the young ones that they need to take a seat and watch Becky work, um, (laughs) what's the legacy you want to leave behind? My
2: legacy, I hope, will always be like team first, you know, like always put the collective over the individual. And I think being an athlete, like, you're always going to be a little inherently selfish because, like, you do need to take care of yourself. You do need to, in all ways, take care of yourself and bring it every single day. But Knowing that you're doing it for a bigger goal than just your individual success, I like that would be a great legacy that I can leave behind. Um, and then as far as like a career after soccer, I feel like I have a PhD in the sport. I I need to stick around. I need to do other things. So if that's, you know, coaching or front office, or if it's more advocacy work, like I think I'll be around the game. I just love it too much to just leave it.
0: Yes. I love that. I, I wanted to ask you before we let you go about the leadership and going along with that. Um, Abby Wambach, I remember one time shared just how she thinks leadership is everything and was giving examples. For you, can you share a practice that you do that is something that you feel really connects you to others, whether it's what inspired you to do the text messages that, that you send to everyone or, you know, or what it is and how you discovered that practice in yourself? Yeah. So
2: I, I'm like very introverted. So I, do I love getting up? Oh yes. I, I don't love getting up in front of big groups of people and, and taking charge and doing that. Like, so my, my leadership is very subtle. I would say like, to me, it's all about the, the individual relationships and having the people know that I genuinely care for them and I want to know about them and I want to know what but they need to be successful and, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. So how we can Mm. promote strengths and, you know, minimize weaknesses. And so for me, it's all those small things like grabbing a coffee or sending a text message or pulling someone aside after practice and just being like, hey, how are you doing? And just having those little catch-ups. For me, I've noticed that that's helped in when I need to make or help make bigger decisions or lead the group a certain way that there's a trust built up because of all those smaller moments.
1: Right. That's so cool. I think that's what makes the difference, right? Knowing knowing those details is so important and knowing how you can help the overall team as well, because it, it, it is so many pieces coming together um, like a puzzle. Uh, Becky, thank you so much for all of the ins, I mean, we have we have covered. I mean, everything in the spectrum and in between. We so appreciate your transparency, your vulnerability as well. Um, uh, here and on her turf with us.
0: I know you said that you don't like being in front of crowds, but I would vote for you for president
1: if you chose <laughs> to
0: Listen, do that. Becky's
1: already taken over the world.
0: <laughs> that description was. I mean, that's just awesome. It's authentic connection. It's it's really awesome. Yeah. No.
2: Well, thank you. I, so thank you so much for having me on this. This is amazing. Becky, thank you. Best of
0: luck to you and all of it. All right. Thank you. So many takeaways, such a great episode, and also so much to watch for with Becky and her career, you know, to see not only her playing days still with plenty remaining, but beyond. I'm really excited to see what she does. Um, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to rate and review On Her Turf on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow On Her Turf on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok.
1: Plus, get the latest news in women's sports on our blog, NBCSports.com slash On Her Turf. A special thanks to everyone involved in this NBC Sports and Blue Wire partnership. We'll see you next time.